0: Welcome to Nature Centered, a podcast from Wild Birds Unlimited about feeding the birds and enjoying nature right in your own backyard. Here are your hosts, naturalist John Schauust and Brian Cunningham.
1: Hey everybody, I'm
0: John Shausston and welcome to Nature Center, a podcast about nature in your own backyard. Hey and I am Brian Cunningham. Glad that we're doing this John, but I, I got to ask you, you know, why a podcast? <laughs> Well, hopefully,
1: uh, you and I have something to share with our audience, Brian. Uh, of course, you know, we, we do. You've been teaching people and sharing uh, about nature for, what, 30 years in both you know camps and nature centers and, and for WBU Wild Birds Unlimited, and I've been doing it <coughs> for almost 40 years. So, <laughs> so, combined, we've got about 70 years of hopefully some knowledge that, that will be of interest and entertainment to uh, our audience. And we'll have lots of fun sharing that with them.
0: Oh, indeed. Just a little bit of tenure there between the two of us. Um, but I am excited to be able to share about the joy and passion of, you know, what's going on with birds, what's going on with nature, and, and starting right in your own backyard. Uh, there can be so much happening, and um, I'm looking forward to doing these podcasts and being able to talk about those kinds of things. And it's not just birds. You know, we're backyard bird feeding Hobbyists, we're the backyard bird feeding experts, but um, there's so many other things that happen in nature right in our own backyard and then beyond that. So I'm excited to jump in and start doing a number of episodes.
1: Yeah, and for our very first podcast, and again, we're going to try to make these as timely as we can. And what's more timely than right now than hummingbirds? And so our first podcast is entitled Hummingbirds, a Beautiful Beast of a Bird. We're going to take you on a real deep dive in the world of these
0: tiny winged wonders what kinds of foods, what kind of feeders, you know, how do you attract them to your yard and how do you keep them coming? We'll have some activities to do with the kids or the grandkids. And John, what about habitat?
1: Yeah, actually habitat's a really important thing, not just for hummingbirds, for lots of other birds too and other wildlife. So we're going to take a few minutes and talk about habitat and things you can do in your backyard to to cater to wildlife a little better.
0: Have you got your hummingbirds yet? I do not have hummingbirds just yet, but I tell you what, we have our hummingbird feeders out. Uh, my wife just really started to get really excited about hummingbird feeding. I brought home a window hummingbird feeder and she actually took over taking care of it because once we started getting hummingbirds last year, she was all over making sure they kept coming under the windows. Uh, but I love that springtime when all the hummingbirds are coming back. I know there are some places where hummingbirds are uh, year-round in winter, but it's, it's that special day isn't it? you, it you is. watch and you watch and you wait for weeks
1: and weeks and you watch every day. And Indeed. it's still early. I expect them back, honestly, within the next week or so. Uh, but just in yeah. case, you know, I put them up there and boy, what a day it is when they first show up in your backyard. It's like, everybody's got to know you send emails out to your friends, you talk to your kids, you know, let everybody know the hummingbirds are back. It's they're
0: a big back. Yeah. I've been watching all the migration maps and they're close. The first ones are coming through and so oh, I just can't wait till we get them. So
1: I, <laughs> I, I've taken a little grief over the title of today's show. A uh, hummingbird's a beautiful beast of a bird. <laughs> so, wait, wait, <laughs> a beautiful beast of a bird. I know, I know, but it's true. I mean, these guys, I mean, let's face it. If you're the smallest guy on the block, you better be tough or you're not going to make it. And and these guys truly, yeah, they're delicate and they're beautiful and they're graceful and they're aerobatic. But my gosh, they are also some of the toughest birds around anywhere. This is true. They're tough little birds. Beautiful. They're gorgeous too. And they have a big heart. (laughs) In (laughs) proportion to their body size, they have the biggest heart of any warm-blooded animal. They have um, heartbeats of up to 1,250 beats per Per minute. Amazing stuff. That's uh, crazy. Yeah. Body temperature can get up to 109 degrees. They eat up to 70% of their own body weight in solid food, which would be things like insects and gnats and things like that, but also four to eight times their body weight in water through, obviously, the nectar that they're feeding on from flowers. They have one of the highest nesting success rates. I mean, this is a little bird that weighs one-tenth of an ounce. I mean, you can literally mail ten of them on an envelope for a one-ounce stamp. I mean, if you think about it, they're one-tenth of an ounce. They're that small. And yet, they have one of the highest nesting success rates of any uh, migrant, uh, long-distance migrant in North America.
0: That's crazy. I mean, so many little fun facts there about how tough these little guys are. You, You think about I think about just migration and, yeah. you know, all these different, most of these hummingbirds in North America are migrants and yeah. holy cow for, you're talking about how much they eat. And if I'm on the move, then I need lots of energy to stay on the move just so you continue in migration. Yeah. I mean, fattening up, how much did you say that they weigh?
1: One tenth. It's three, about three grams. It's about one tenth of an ounce, literally 10 of them. It takes 10 of them to make one ounce, which is what you can send in an envelope with a postage stamp
0: absolutely crazy and their brain the size of a bb you know it's super small but you know i've heard they know exactly they can remember exactly which feeder which flowers that were really good nectar producers or even your own feeder what feeders have been available and they can come back to that exact same feeder i hear all sorts of people say they when they're in migration they'll come back to my feeder on the exact same day every year while they're moving i mean how do they remember that year after year
1: Yeah, there's even research that about 20, 25% of time, they'll actually come back to the same nesting location and sometimes even use, reuse, refurbish the old nest. So you think about that, you're exactly right, the migration, my gosh. You know, one thing cool about these birds is they're not anywhere else in the world except the Western Hemisphere, North, South, Central America. They're not in Europe, they're not in Africa, they're not in Asia, they're not in Australia. They are only in the Western Hemisphere, North, South and, and Central America. Most of, like you're saying, are migrating from like Central America to come back to the Guerrero. coming back from like Yucatan Peninsula of, of Mexico, flying non-stop up to up to, up to 20 hours of flying non-stop across the Gulf of Mexico. Yeah, talk about an amazingly tough bird to be able to do that. You weigh one tenth of an ounce, three grams, and yet you're flying non-stop for over 20 hours potentially.
0: I just can't even imagine it just to fathom those kinds of things.
1: Yeah. And then the Rufus, I mean, the Rufus hummingbird, what a cool hummingbird that is. And that sucker goes all the way from Mexico and flies all the way to Alaska and nests in Alaska and nests in the Rocky Mountains where it's cold. You know, again, that's why we titled this one beautiful beast of a bird. They are truly tough, tough characters.
0: Yes, they are.
1: so everybody wants them i don't know of any any bird that people want more in their backyard than hummingbirds so how do you get them what do you need to do well everybody probably already knows it's it's putting out a hummingbird feeder it's using nectar uh to to get these guys in and uh you know the other thing obviously that we would tell everybody to try to do is use native plants, Uh, you know, native nectar plants that are their regular go-to. A good example would be Columbine is a great uh, plant to have in your yard to attract early hummingbirds. But the nectar feeder is the go-to and it's what you're going to have here in where we're at in central Indiana. We're going to probably have our hummingbirds for maybe four months, uh, probably from uh, reliably from the early part of May to mid to even late September. So I'm going to have my feeders out and I'm watching this, uh, you know, up to four months, which is going to be cool. So Nectar, <laughs> you well know we, this time of year, our phones are lighting up everywhere in our stores and in our own mailboxes and everything else. What, how do I make this? What do I use? Uh, what's that ratio again? How much water to how much sugar and, and
0: uh, all their different types of sugars I can use. And- my wife even asked me this last week as we were preparing our hummingbird feeders, what's that ratio again? Cool part is, Uh, It's written, actually, on a number of the Wild Birds Unlimited hummingbird feeders themselves. It is four to one. So it's four parts water to one part sugar. And a really easy way to remember that is if you take one cup of water, you can put a quarter cup of sugar in there and let it dissolve, and you've got some nectar. So four to one.
1: Exactly right. And what that actually, one, one of the kind of misconceptions we hear a lot is, uh, what what the percentage of sugar actually is in that nectar? Because you really have five parts. If you if you're thinking you know math wise, you have five parts. You've got four parts water, one part sugar. So that's five parts, and then that one fifth is actually sugar, which makes it 20%. Uh, so the nectar concentra- the sugar concentration in the artificial nectar you're making is 20%, which happens to absolutely mimic the vast majority of the native nectar uh, plants, uh, the nectar that they produce and the 20% ratio that they, uh, they have in their
0: nectar. And a lot of people are concerned that, you know, table sugar, is that really the best thing we can use? So we, we, we get the question all the time about those sugars is, is yeah, is table sugar the best or can, can I use an organic sugar or can I use a, another kind of sweetener?
1: Yeah. Like a brown sugar or whatever. I mean, and the bottom line is table sugar is the absolute closest thing, uh, that you can do to provide an artificial nectar. It really is a very close mimic of natural nectars. Uh, You do not actually want to use, it sounds like it would be better to use organic sugar or brown sugars or natural sugars, but actually it's not a good thing because those are typically high in iron content and hummingbirds and iron do not get along well. Uh, They have a hard time uh, getting rid of excess amounts of iron. Uh, So literally table sugar, it is the way to go and it's the easiest thing to make in your own kitchen. And uh, make sure you keep those feeders clean. Uh, you can store it in your refrigerator and it'll extend the life of that nectar for a long time. Uh, so that's a, that's a basics on, on nectar.
0: Uh, so we get questions a lot about what's that best feeder to have out there? Um, of course, I'm a little biased because I think that the best feeder out there for hummingbird feeding is a tray style feeder. And you know, historically, we've had a lot of hummingbird feeders that are kind of that uh, gravity cup style, where you fill it up uh, and then you turn it upside down and connecting a base to it. And it's that nectar is in gravity fed out to the ports. Well, yeah, there are a few issues with that. You, you, get some, you get some nectar that pushes out and it helps to make a little bit of a mess. Um, and you know, a lot of times I could deal with some of that mess, that's fine, it's outside. But usually what happens is when the hummingbirds do show up, inevitably they always go to the backside of the feeder and I don't get to watch them feed. That's what I love about a tray-style hummingbird feeder. Uh, tray-style hummingbird feeders, it's like a little saucer dish that the lid sits on top of. And then now you don't have it leaking, so you, you just don't have that mess. But the cool part is anytime a hummingbird shows up, they can feed at any feeding port on the top of that lid and you can see them, whether on the back side of the feeder, the front side, left, right, whatever. And then that way too, the hummingbirds are really comfortable because now while they're feeding, they can see all around themselves. I mean, yeah, they are a beast of a bird, but they're (laughs) tiny and there are other birds or critters that want to eat them. Yeah. Which, which are that,
1: that that I'm glad you brought that up because I always thought this is one of the most amazing things so hummingbird what does prey on a hummingbird there just aren't that many things that it's not big enough to you know be a big meal for a lot of big bird you know predator birds or raptors or whatever it might be so what does prey on well you can actually have to watch where you put your feeder sometimes we've seen and again we get all kinds of stuff coming across our desk and everything else and Bullfrogs. Uh, somebody has a little pond in their backyard, and they, and they put their little feeder, hummingbird feeder, right above the pond, and it was within range of a bullfrog, and truly the bullfrog nailed a hummingbird coming to the, to the nectar feeder. Uh, they also fall prey to things like praying mantis, which is kind of unusual, but uh, I can tell you we've seen dozens of photographs with a praying mantis hanging on the, the hummingbird feeder, and they are actually able to grab and hold and capture a, a hummingbird. So when you're a little bitty guy, <laughs> you do have to watch out what you're doing. And uh, so, Brian, uh, that, that definitely won't, don't want to put your feeder over the top of a water feature in your backyard. No, no. but, but where else
0: would you recommend us putting feeders in your backyard? Yeah, placement is a really good thing to think about for that hummingbird feeder. Yeah, you don't want it over that water feature where it's too close. Or you don't want it right next to... Uh, plants. Now, maybe you have a hanging basket or something, or you have a bush nearby and you have that hummingbird feeder right next to it. Yeah. I'd move it out into the open a little bit. You could hang it off your eave. You could hang it off of your window. Um, You can put it out in the middle of the yard. You want to put it where you can see it and, but you want it to be just far enough away that something like a bullfrog, something like a praying mantis, if that praying mantis is hanging upside down on your feeder and yes, they can do that. I have seen them do that and plenty of pictures as well. But uh, put it out there in the open a bit so that hummingbird can come in, have a visual around them to see danger approaching and be able to have time to fly off. You know, a lot of times the they, hummingbirds will have the nickname, the dragster of the bird world, because these little guys, yeah, you know, they can fly you know, 30, 40 miles an hour. And that's typically how fast they can fly. But they actually have been clocked at over 60 miles an hour just this tiny little beautiful beast of a bird that is super fast, but yeah. they need the space to be able to, to take off. Um, and they can take off very quickly.
1: Oh yeah. They go to zero. I've, I've read things where they've tested zero to 60, almost instantaneous. I mean, they're there, they are a dragster. They come off the line. Like you wouldn't believe instantaneous up to 60 miles an hour when they need to.
0: Yeah. And I bet uh, if you've ever spied your hummingbird feeder and, and uh, another hummingbird showed up while one was feeding. You probably saw that little, that little pivot and takeoff when they go after that other hummingbird coming into their area. And you know when you see that the most? When you've got that bully,
1: especially if you have, uh, you know, in the east we only have the ruby throated hummingbird and the males can be real bullies at their feeders.
0: Oh, super uh, and, territorial.
1: Yeah, and man, that's when you see it. When a male comes down and, and harasses a female or juvenile at the feeders or another male at the feeder, uh, you see that instant takeoff. So so what would be our best tips, Brian, for keeping bully hummingbirds at bay in our backyard?
0: i tell you, actually, it's uh, there's some simple things you can do to keep those bully hummingbirds at bay. And one of the best is just have a couple of feeders. It, it, even if you have just two feeders, you're going to play some at far ends of the yard, you know, have them where you can still see them, but put them really far apart. Because if you have one bully hummingbird and you have a couple other hummingbirds that are trying to come in and feed, uh, they they can't protect both, of a, both feeders at the same time as easily. And you, if need be, you can even put them on opposite sides of the house, put one in the front yard, one in the backyard, or on the side yard. So you can do four of them, do multiples, however many you'd want to put out there. But the key is you want to, have multiple feeders and put them far apart. It's really gonna take a lot more energy and effort for that bully hummingbird to protect all those feeders and it's gonna give other hummingbirds the chance to come in and, and get a drink. You know, there's another thing that we get a lot of questions about when you're putting out a hummingbird feeder and get a lot of questions about, what about those not so sweet visitors that are coming to the feeder? Um, ants and bees. Uh, they can kind of swarm it, take it over. It's not that it's going to hurt the hummingbirds. <clears throat> and a lot of times the hummingbirds are still be able to feed. Sometimes you get too many ants or too many bees and the hummingbirds don't feel comfortable coming in. But So there are some things you can do <clears throat> to minimize those not-so-sweet visitors or just to, to keep them fully away. Red is very attractive to the hummingbirds. That color red, the lid of the feeder is red. But bees are much more attracted to the color yellow. So don't have any yellow on your feeder. Just keep it that red. And another is, if you have that tray-style feeder, the nectar is not leaking out onto the quartz, And so when the bees come and investigate, they're not finding that sweetness. They're not finding that, hey, we got some food right here. And so they're moving on. But if for some reason you get some splashing of nectar as the hummingbirds start feeding on there, whatever happens, and the bees do get attracted to it, Then you can use those nectar tips that guard the the feeder ports and that'll help prevent the bees from getting in. Uh, The other is when you see a bunch of bees on it, especially in the morning time, just move your feeder a couple of feet. Maybe you're on a double crook arm and it's hanging there and just move it to another crook arm. And then the bees will not know where to go find that feeder until another scout from a hive goes over and tries to find it if it's honeybees um, or if it's yellow jackets, you know, they're gonna keep searching throughout the day they'll eventually find it again maybe that day maybe it's uh, the next day just keep moving it once a day if you need to or however often you need to to help uh, mitigate any more of those not so sweet visitors coming to it so an easy thing with the ants is you want to be able to hang your hummingbird feeder somewhere and then tray style hummingbird feeders they have a built-in ant moat. It's just a little space where you fill up a little moat with water, kind of like a castle would have a moat around it. And then the ants are not comfortable crossing little bodies of water. Uh, the trick is just keeping the, the water filled and you can do that every few days and when it gets to a really hot, dry time of the year. Um, but it'll usually stay in there until you refill your hummingbird feeder with fresh nectar.
1: And speaking of nectar, one of the things we always like to do is how to get the family involved and uh, in, in feeding uh, hummingbirds, and my gosh, <laughs> truly, what's more enticing to a youngster than to have that little hummingbird in your backyard and coming close to them? So, uh, what, are, what are some tips we
0: would have, Brian? Well, some fun things you can do. I mean, when, you, when you're mixing sugar and water, and you're doing science and math, and there's chemistry involved, whether you realize that or not, you can bring that into play. And, and we talked about the ratio, you know, sugar to water, Four to one, four water, one sugar. Mixing that together. Um, You know, younger kids and you take that sugar and you're stirring it into the water and it disappears. Where did it go? Well, feel free. Have them taste it. It's sweet, right? So that's just chemistry happening right there. And that four to one, uh, taking that math, that's five parts. And how do you do some math between five parts to figure out? that uh, a four-to-one, what kind of a solution is that? Just doing some of that uh, basic math. It's a 20% solution. You know, have the kids do a little math on that. um, Just to show that, you know, the whole idea of STEM, you know, science, technology, engineering, and math, uh, it's all around us. And if you just take a moment to stop and look, it's really simple. And even in bird feeding, there you go.
1: And not only is there science, there's magic. There's nothing more magical And I think anybody who's fed hummingbirds for, uh, you know, very many years know that sometimes when you take the feeder inside and you get it all cleaned out and you put the new nectar in, and you walk out the back door to take it over to where you've got it hanging. And all of a sudden the hummingbird's buzzing right in your face. I've even had them come to the hummingbird feeder as I'm carrying it. They are actually taking nectar as I'm carrying it over to hang it up. So that tells you that they're pretty docile in the sense of they're going to, they're going to come to a feeder like that. So why not have the kids carry the feeder out and see if that can happen for them or even why not put a chair under wherever the hummingbird feeder typically hangs and have them hold the feeder for a little bit and see if the hummingbird actually will come to the feeder while they're holding. I guarantee you if that happens, it is magic. It is one of the coolest things you'll ever see and a kid will flip out over it. So give that a try. Hummingbirds, absolutely way cool birds. You know, one of the things that we've talked about, uh, WBU and one of our, our uh, real initiatives is that you know uh, many of our birds in this in North America are in decline. You know, there's been some recent research that shows that the numbers have declined up to 30% in some cases. Uh, so, just imagine uh, how we could turn that around if we made every backyard truly a wildlife habitat. Uh, and that's very doable. And so one of the things we'd like to encourage people uh, is to think about uh, changing what's in your backyard and some of the habitat plants and, and uh, things that they, you might you know, offer wildlife. Uh, And a good way to learn about that and to be committed to it is to have your backyard certified by the National Wildlife Federation, one of our partners. Uh, They have a uh, National Wildlife Certified Wildlife Habitat Program where you can go on, learn all about the different native plants trees, shrubs, nectar flowers, you know, et cetera, et cetera, and uh, get those things in your backyard. And you, I, I've actually done this. I, I used to run nature centers for many, many years. And almost every nature center that I did, we planted extensive native gardens and, and plantings. And the amazing difference in the bird and wildlife activity in those areas is just dramatic. So if you want to do that in your backyard and, and would like to attract more hummingbirds, native plants, native nectar plants, uh, check out the National Wildlife Certification for Wildlife Habitat. Uh, just go Google search for National Wildlife Federation or go to WW.com and take a look. Okay, Brian. So <laughs> my, my reputation's on the line here, dude. Uh, did, did we make our case? Is, is the title
0: a beast of a bird? Well, John, I, I think we did. I know you convinced me of these tiny little garden jewels, uh, but they really are just some tough little birds, smallest birds in the world, smallest nests and eggs in the world, but yet they're living as long as other songbirds. So I think they are holding their own and the joy that they bring to people is absolutely phenomenal. So, you know, I hope everyone's enjoyed uh, our time today and it's had as much fun as we have had being able to talk about it and centering on nature. So what are we thinking for our next upcoming podcast here?
1: Yeah, hopefully, uh, <laughs> Hopefully, uh, this being our first podcast, uh, Brian, and uh, we'll, we'll continue to improve and hopefully the quality of the podcast in regards to uh, some of the technological side of it. I mean, we are doing this remotely, you from your house and, and uh, I from mine. Uh, so we're, we're kind of limited in some of the technology that we're using, but our biggest hope, truly, truly our biggest hope is that, uh, our podcast is going to bring everybody a little joy, uh, a little, little, uh repose uh, from everything that's going on and, and uh, enjoy a little bit of nature and to think about nature and to maybe take a little action to support nature in your own backyard. So on behalf of all of us here at Wild Birds Unlimited, uh, we'd like to thank you for joining us for the nature-centered podcast. And next time, uh, we'll either be talking about Orioles or our WBU
0: Alcam, depending on what nature throws at us. Thanks, everyone. Looking forward to joining us next time. In the meantime, enjoy the birds. Thanks for listening to this episode of Nature Centered. To subscribe to this podcast, for show notes, or to connect with the Wild Birds Unlimited store nearest you, visit wbu.com podcast. Until we meet again, take some time to relax, enjoy the birds, get out in your backyard, and stay nature-centered.